We are on a journey through this amazing book called Hebrews. The more I read it, the more I think it was a sermon that someone took notes, transcribed, and wrote a book from. It's really good. Declares how he's so much greater than the understanding people have of God and the supernatural. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the priests. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so we're going to do just a little overlap of what we did last week. We talked about our great high priest. Today we're going to talk about our greater high priest. Last week we looked at the similarities between him and the Levitical priest in the Old Testament. A priest is someone that goes before you to God and represents your need. Who's ever had to use a lawyer? Okay, a lawyer is like a priest, not that he goes before God for you, but he goes before the judge or the authorities for you on your behalf, to intercede on your behalf. Sometimes, who knows, sometimes you need a third party help. Uh, Maybe you're at odds with a friend and a third party goes on your behalf to try to set up a meeting so you guys can make peace. So Hebrews 4.14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. The word there, confession, means agreement. It implies your expression of faith. Hold it fast, because we have a great high priest who's gone to heavens. He's in the courts of heaven now. The Son of God is there before his Father. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So you can go to him with your problems, and he understands the temptation power of it. He doesn't justify your sin, but he justifies sinners who come to him in faith. He understands because he too has been tempted. There's great joy in our family. We had the birth of a second man-child. We have three girls. Wonderful. I resisted the temptation to put a picture up. But I will put this picture up. This is to help fathers... This is to help fathers empathize with their wives. They wear this for long periods of time, and over the period of time, they'll add weights to it. The weights look like like cannonballs. And by the end of this experience, you know, they're carrying around 30 pounds of weight, and they're they're made to try to sleep with it on, to, to make them a more compassionate, sympathizing. Jesus did this for us. He became a man. Earlier on in this series, we showed a video of the empathy suit that is used in training nursing home workers. It uh, restricts your movement. It's like a set of coveralls. It's very heavy. Restricts your movement. Makes your joints hurt. The shoes are heavy, and it includes goggles that blurs your vision, that make you wear thick gloves and have you fill out paperwork with lots of fine print within a certain time period to develop empathy with what it's like to be 90 years old. Christ did this for us. He became one of us to empathize with us. Chapter 4 ends with these words, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace 
in time of need, that we might have mercy and grace. You can come to him, sorry for your sins, but not... Some people stay away from God because of shame. They think he'll approach them like this. What? You again? As if he didn't know. He's wondering why you haven't come to him sooner. The longer you stay away, there's all the more reason to stop it, move forward with him. Chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is talking about human, earthly high priests. Because they're subject to weakness, they're able to have some compassion on those who unknowingly have sinned or those who have gone astray maybe purposely in some way. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. If you go to a priest, you want to go to one that is empathetic, right? You want to go to one that cares. If you go to a doctor, you want to go to one that cares, right? Here's an article on the need for doctors to not only have skills, but to actually care for you. You know? Ah, it's it's just one of his fingers. He's got nine more. Take it off. You want him to at least feel a tinge of, oh, man. Is there another, another way? And no man carries this honor to himself, but he was called by God just as Aaron was. Verse 5, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So Aaron, the first priest under the law, did not make himself priest. It was something that God did. And in Hebrew history, You didn't just make yourself what God didn't anoint you to be. Saul was anointed to be king, and he lost it because he thought he could also be a priest and step beyond the realm of his assignment. King Uzziah lost his health. Same kind of thinking. Korah thought he could be better than Moses, and the ground opened up and swallowed him and all his kinfolk. God is serious about our assignments. Who knows we need to man our battle stations. So this, you're my son today I've begotten you, comes from Psalm 2. And the context gives us a clue to something that I really want to emphasize today. He says in verse 6 of Psalm 2, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. This is Jesus. I will declare the decree. The Lord, that is Yahweh, has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. This is speaking prophetically to the risen Christ. Not the Bethlehem Christ. It's important to know that. Christ has always been. He's a word of God. Bethlehem, the word, became flesh. But he did die and arise from the dead. And in Acts chapter 13, Paul does an amazing job of connecting the resurrection to this promise that he was begotten. Today, it's a specific time, today I have begotten 
you. Prior to that day, he was the lamb slain from the earth's foundation. You see that? And he says in another place, and he quotes from Psalm 110, we looked at this last week, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Another translation says it like this, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. These prayers are recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let's look at a couple of them. Matthew says, this is after the Last Supper, they cross the Kidron Brook, they go to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Now he's a son of God, but he's also the son of man, and what he's about to go through as a son of God is going to be tough. He's going to be separated from his father. And what he's about to go through as a son of man is going to be tough. He's about to be tortured and slaughtered. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see the reverential fear? Lord, this is what I want. This is what I don't want to do, but your will be done. There is a place for praying, Father, if it's your will. There is a place for that. Lord, if it's your will, is there another way? Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but your will be done. Mark records it as him saying, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Mark 24. Stay here and watch. Verse 35. He went a little further and fell on the ground. He's in the dirt. And prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. There's another way to redeem mankind. Another way to fulfill your plan. Let's do that. And he said, Abba, all things are possible for you. I believe in you, Father. Is there another way? Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. Who'd say, who's ever prayed like that? Lord, you pray your will and then you pray a prayer of submission. Not my will, but thine be done. Praise Jesus, may this same prayer be mine every day. Sorry, these songs hit my head and I don't remember all of them. <laughs> Our text today finishes out, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation 
to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak to us from your word, that we would, all of us, from the youngest to the eldest, get a grasp of who you are as our high priest. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been a Christian very long, you understand the Lord is our crucified Savior. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We know that. That's salvation. And we understand the resurrection. But we don't fully understand the ascension that He ascended to be our high priest. We spoke last Sunday on our great high priest today, our greater high priest. He is greater. The biblical illustrator says this, there was no person in the Hebrew economy that was so revered as their high priest. While politically corrupted during the time of Christ, the title high priest was one that was revered and loved. The high priest was ordained to have compassion and was their highest ideal of purity. Boy, they certainly weren't that during Jesus' life. He represented God to his people, and he represented his people to God as their advocate. He was a ministry of mercy. Jesus Christ stood like a high priest to the people, and compassion was one of his greatest attributes, who not only represented humanity with their needs to God, but he also represented God to humanity. The word compassion is superior to the word sympathy. Sympathy is sorrow for the misfortune of another. Compassion is sorrow with, for the misfortune of another accompanied by a strong desire to relieve the pain and remove the cause. And as our compassionate high priest, the Lord desires to sympathize with us and then to do something about it to soothe the pain and deal with the cause. If you keep sinning the same sin over and over, the Lord will forgive you. He'll help you to forgive yourself, and He will help you to overcome it. Maybe you're not repenting of the real issue. Maybe this sin is anger. You hurt everybody around you because you're angry. And you repent, you just keep falling into anger again and again and again. Could it be that repeated sin is not the real issue. It's a manifestation. It's the fruit of a root. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's a lack of surrender to the will of God. Maybe it's an unhealed hurt that the great high priest can help remedy and deal with. And you'll see all that other stuff be remedied. That's our compassionate high priest. Our Lord knowing the height and depth and length and width of human experience and need has gone up before God as our high priest there. In so doing, he represents to us the character of God himself, the reality of divine love. He is the visible manifestation of our invisible God, and yet he is also one of us. What a, an amazing combination. Our greater high priest, here's 10 quick realities that make his priesthood greater. There's some overlap with last week, but there's some new stuff here that we gleaned from this chapter. Our high priest has ascended to heaven. 
Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. There's the first heaven, the atmosphere of the earth. There's the second heaven, the universe. And there's a third heaven, wherever that is. And I don't think it's 10 zillion light years away. Sorry, Stevie Wonder. Our high priest is the Son of God. Who better to represent us than God's own Son? What a benefit we have. Our high priest can sympathize with us. We do not have a high priest who can't sympathize. He was tempted as we are in all points. Which means he's tempted more than... The reason some of us haven't yielded to some temptations is we haven't been hit with them all. The reason some of us are not in jail is we didn't get caught. The Lord faced it all and overcame. So he's able to empathize with what it's like to be tempted. He can be approached boldly. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Not timidly, not occasionally, boldly. How often? However often you need to. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy is like us not getting what we do deserve. And grace is like us getting what we don't deserve. Grace and mercy. Oh, wonderful. Our high priest has been called by God. Yeah, from the foundation of the world. The entire Godhead was united in sending the Son of God, the Word of God being made flesh, ultimately to become our high priest. To secure that connection we have with God. Christ did not glorify Himself to become high priest. The Father did. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Those words were heard at his baptism, which parallels with the priesthood ordination. He's baptized by a member of the Levitical tribe, John the Baptist. His father, Zechariah, was a priest. Even though he was not a Levite, he was Judah. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. We'll talk about that in a moment. So he's washed. The priests were washed. There was a special sacrifice made for them. Well, no need for Jesus to have a sacrifice made for him, for the blood of the sacrifice was in his veins that would soon be shed for us three, three years or so later. And the priest was anointed with oil at his ordination. No need for that. The Holy Spirit himself came down like a dove and landed on him there in the Jordan River as our priest. His priesthood is an eternal priesthood. This isn't some temporary thing. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek, we'll talk about him in the coming week because he's mentioned a few other times in the book. He was a king and a priest. He's called the priest of El Elyon the priest of the Most High God. He's the priest of the God who's the highest. You can't get any higher than Most High, right? There's no high like the Most High. He's the priest of the Most High God, and he's the king of righteousness and the king of a place called Salem, which means peace. Melchizedek was one to whom Abraham honored. He blessed 
Abraham. And Abraham give, gave him a tenth, a tithe of the blessings that the Lord had bestowed upon him by giving him victory in the battle. So the Levites are a lesser priesthood than Melchizedek because they, not yet being born, were in the loins, Hebrews says, of Abraham, paying tithe or tribute, honor, to the one who's ministering to them, their father Abraham, named Melchizedek. So Christ, being who he is, is of the order of Melchizedek. Now some people believe Melchizedek is Jesus, literally. Could be. Some believe he was a theophany or an angel. Not sure. He's definitely a picture of Jesus. Jesus is like Melchizedek. Melchizedek does not have a genealogy. He's just there. Bam! The king of righteousness, the king of Salem, the priest of the Most High God. Some people believe he's actually Shem, the favored son of Noah. He would have still been alive during that time. So Christ is a greater priest than the Levites, than the Aaronic priest. He's of the order of Melchizedek. He's greater. As a man, he surrendered to suffering for us. He offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. So God heard his prayer, even though what he was asking wasn't granted it was heard. Having our prayers answered is great. But you know what's actually better than that is knowing that God hears you and knowing that he has a higher purpose in hand. And although your request wasn't granted, the story's not over. Something incredible is in the making. That's what happened with Jesus. Luke records this occasion. We didn't cover that a while ago in chapter 22, verse 41. He was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Verse 43, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Theologians have wrestled with this for years. Did his sweat just thicken to the point that it became the consistency of blood? Or did blood literally run out of his sweat glands? He was under such pressure. We don't know. It was agony. You can agonize in prayer. Who knows that? You can. He prayed earnestly and he submitted. He's, he's conquering his flesh. And there's an angel right there ministering to him, waiting on a command to do something about it. The father did not say yes to this request. It is interesting to me in John's version of the story when Judas comes to betray him and they arrest him, he says, whom are you seeking? And the, the group says, Jesus. We're looking for Jesus. It's dark. We forget what it's like sometimes to live in the dark. So much electricity around. They were in a park-like setting, but there's no street lights there. They're carrying torches, and torches create shadows. So is this Jesus or not? And he says, I am he. Literally, he says, I am. And the scripture says, 
the whole group fell down backwards. Somebody said they fell out under the power. Just a little side note here. We believe in people falling under the power. If it's God, we want it to be God. We don't want to develop a culture of courtesy drops. Yes, we have a basket of blankets somewhere, but we don't keep them visible and put that power of suggestion in people's mind. Well, I got prayed for today. Did you get healed? No, but I fell down. If you did, we want it to be the Lord. In the Bible, when the Lord knocked people down who were in a position of submission, they fell forward on their face, on their face, on their face. You can see it. But here, they fall backward. Could it be the angel who was ministering to Jesus? Just tell me, tell me, Father, you know what to do. Could it be in his departure, because, you know, Jesus got the answer. Could it be in his departure he knocked some folks down just because he could? I don't know. I get carried away sometimes. Now, he is the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. What does it mean to obey Jesus? It means to start out by believing the gospel and repenting. What is repenting? The saying sorry for your sins, it can, it can include that. But literally it's turning your life from the direction it's going, turning to him and saying, Lord, I want you to be Lord. I believe in you. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you rose from the dead for me. Repent and believe the gospel. He is the author of eternal salvation. He was blessed for submitting to the Father's will. And our Lord always, here's the number 10, our Lord always lives to intercede for us. Did you know that? Getting ahead of myself here in Hebrews, but I can't resist. <laughs> Chapter 7, therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. One preacher said, that's Jesus yelling at the devil for you. No, I don't think so. That's him representing us before the Father. Yvette read some synonyms of the word rescue a while ago. Here's synonyms for the word intercede. It can mean advocate. He always lives to be our advocate, to interpose, to mediate, to speak on our behalf, to plead, to pray, to intervene, to arbitrate. What is that like? What does he say? How does it Look, well, I think we have an example from John 17. The whole chapter is called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And the Gospel of John movie that came out in 04 did an amazing job with this prayer. Here it is. I have told you this so that you will have peace by being united to me. The world will make you suffer, but be brave. I have defeated the world. After Jesus finished saying this, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Give glory to your Son, so that the Son may give glory to you. 
you gave him authority over all people, so that he might give eternal life to all those you gave him. And eternal life means to know you, the only true God, and to know Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I have shown your glory on earth. I have finished the work you gave me to do. Father, give me glory in your presence now, the same glory I had with you before the world was made. I have made you known to those you gave me out of the world. They belong to you, and you gave them to me. They have obeyed your word, and now they know that everything you gave me comes from you. I gave them the message that you gave me, and they received it. They know that it is true that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those you gave me, for they belong to you. All I have is yours. And all you have is mine. And my glory is shown through them. And now I am coming to you. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Holy Father, keep them safe by the power of your name. The name you gave me. So that they may be one. Just as you and I are one. While I was with them, I kept them safe by the power of your name, the name you gave me. I protected them, and not one of them was lost, except the man who was bound to be lost, so that the scripture might come true. And now I am coming to you, and I say these things in the world, so that they might have my joy in their hearts in all its fullness. I gave them your message, and the world hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. But I do ask you to keep them safe from the evil one. Just as I do not belong to the world, they do not belong to the world. Dedicate them to yourself by means of the truth. Your word is truth. I sent them into the world just as you sent me into the world. And for their sake, I dedicate myself to you in order that they too may be truly dedicated to you. I pray not only for them, but also for those who believe in me because of their message. I pray that they may all be one. Father, may they be in us, just as you were in me and I am in you. May they be one so that the world will believe that you sent me. I gave them the same glory you gave me, so that they may be one just as you and I are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be completely one, in order that the world may know that you sent me, and that you love them as you love me. Father, you have given them to me, and I want them to be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, the glory you gave me, for you loved me before the world was made. Righteous Father. The world does not know you, but I know you. And these know that you sent me. I made you known to them, and I will continue to do so, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and so that I also may be in them. After Jesus had said this prayer, 
He left with his disciples and went across Kidron Brook. And that's when the prayers we read previously, not my will but yours be done, occurred. And then the arrest occurred. My favorite verse in that prayer is a statement, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Eternal life is all about knowing the only true God. If you don't know him, today's the day. So he ever lives to make intercession for us. He always lives to make intercession for those who come to God through him. So in this prayer, I've just pulled out a few of the lines that could be part of his intercession today because it applies to us today. I pray for them, that's his believers. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. How many here belong to Jesus? Now, verse 11, now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, who's still in the world. In the world, in the world, that's us. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. So he's praying for us. We're in the world. And he's praying that we be made one. Why? This is something evil one wants to destroy us, our oneness. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them or dedicate them or purify them by your truth. Your word is truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those, here we are, who will believe in me through their word. Who was converted in such a way that scripture was used? You heard the gospel, right? No one can be saved without hearing the gospel. So we are those who have believed in Jesus through the word of his disciples. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, his followers. The Lord prayed for us in John 17. And he ever lives to make intercession for us now. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. Now I believe in the oneness of God, but I also believe in the greatness of God. And there are dimensions of the Godhead that are called persons or personalities, personas, probably is a better word. If the persona of the Son got offended at the persona of the Father, would they be one? No, he yielded to the will of the Father and went to the cross for us because of unity. And the Lord is praying for us that we would be one just as Jesus and the Father in one. And what's connected to that? That the world may believe that you sent me. The believing of the world, he's praying for us, and the result of his prayer for us impacts the world, and that impact comes from our oneness. If we're fighting or at odds with each other, does that help our witness? No. 
One of the things people use to resist our testimony, our witness, our efforts at evangelism is why are there so many churches? It's great to be able to say we live in a town where the churches are at unity. Yvette and I, over the years, in the last 30 years, nothing to do with us but the city, have ministered at 14 other churches in this county. Well, one's just across the county line. Either by leading worship or by preaching or by doing both. And two or three of those multiple times. So when I witness to someone, I'm able to bring that up. Say, I don't know what you're talking about. We enjoy unity in our city. So we have a part to play in the prayer of Jesus being answered. You see that? That they may be perfect in one. That's complete, whole, as one in our unity. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So this is part of our witness. So saints... We're a bunch of people that come from all walks of life. We don't have anything in common usually other than Jesus, right? But Jesus is praying for our unity. Isn't this awesome? There's a psalm that says how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. There's a place of commanded blessing where brothers dwell in unity. This is the efforts of Christ's prayer as our intercessor. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. So his prayers for us is inclusive. He's exclusive, but he's inclusive. Help us, Lord, to keep our exclusives in the right place and our inclusives in the right place. Paul wrote in Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? Jesus is for us. He's praying for your victory. It may not be all that you want. It may not be a perfect lawn with a white picket fence. I'm not thinking of anybody that has that. (laughs) But he's thinking of your calling, of your battle station, of your of your unity, of your family, of your marriage. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. No one has a right to keep your past against you. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are our great high priest, that you're greater than we could even begin to imagine. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would unify us around your purposes, that we would join in together in praying for one another and in being an answer to your prayer. Lord, may we say not our will, but your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I just have to balance something. Sometimes I go out on a limb. I have to balance something. On the subject of unity, if God has called you to do something 
and you're the only one that he's called to do it, do it. If you know that he's called you to do it, and your family's resisting you, seek some counsel, but obey God. We do that? Maybe he's called you to start a church or be a missionary or start some business that would benefit the kingdom or run for an office. Walk in unity as best you can, but obey God. I hope I didn't go too far out on that limb. Anyway, let's worship the Lord. When I was young, you called my name. I tried to run, but still you came. And you stepped into the dark, because that's just the kind of God you are. When heaven seems beyond my reach You still see eternity in me You're turning ashes into heart Cause that's just the kind of God you are It's in the empty tomb It's on the rugged cross your death-defying love is written in your scars. You'll never quit on me. You'll always hold my heart. Cause that's the kind of God you are. You gave me freedom from my sin. You told me I could start again.
And you stepped into the dark Cause that's just the kind of God you are Let me go on another limb on the subject of unity We do not want unity just for the sake of unity Because that's just a navel-gazing kumbaya group We have unity with a common purpose That is the expansion and furtherance and development of the kingdom of God, the expression of the commands of Christ in the earth. And a local church is an expression of that. We're like an embassy of the Lord. In so doing, we are like priests. We're called royal priests. We're a chosen generation of royal priesthood. Who knows that? And so that includes ministering to one another. So if there's someone here today that needs prayer, you're commissioned by the Lord as a person of unity to pray for that person. Jesus said, wherever two or three of you are gathered, I'm in the midst, so he's with us. Wherever two of you shall agree, touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done by my Father in heaven. Not our will, but his be done, right? So if you're here today and you could use some prayer, you need somebody to pray with you about anything. Can you just raise your hand and hold it high? Hold it high so I can see it. Hold your hand up. Okay, there's five hands. Saints, pray for these people. Can we do that? Just keep your hand raised till someone comes to you. Lord, use us mightily for your glory. In Jesus' name. Oh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace.